Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. And uh, we're uh, a little, uh, a few people missing this morning. And uh, pray that you would uh, watch over Fred and Nancy and Kathy. They've gone down to uh, uh, be with Keisha, and they have uh, uh, a lot of things to do. And for those of you that haven't heard, I assume most of you have. Uh, but uh, my brother-in-law, Robert, was uh, um, passed away uh, earlier this week uh, when the uh, uh, equipment that he was working on uh, gave way, if you will. So just be in prayer for Kathy and uh, Fred and Nancy as they're going to be down there uh, today and with the whole family as they, as they grieve. Um, any, uh, we do have the uh, business meeting coming up uh, this Thursday. Uh, if you are a member, um, please make that a priority to be here um, this uh, Thursday at uh, 7 o'clock. And as we have our fall business meeting and discuss the uh, business of the church and the things that are going on, the things that need to be going on, etc. And so be in prayer for that as uh, we'll be meeting uh, this Thursday. Any other announcements that need to be made? Yes, Donna. At seven o'clock, that's and correct. Will there be a prayer meeting prior to that? Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. And then um, I wanted to point out that the Okay, excellent, excellent. Any other announcements this morning? Oh, there's yes. There's food pantry on that. Okay. There's some potatoes, tomatoes, cucumbers, oh. lettuce. Amen. Awesome. All kinds of fall, the fall goodness of the Lord, right? <laughs> Amen. All right. <laughs> All right. I, I, I miss those days of gardening, et cetera. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for sending your son Jesus that we might have eternal life. We thank you for that. We think now of the uh, Huzzy family as they're going through uh, difficulty and uh, the loss of Robert and we pray that you just watch over them we pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in their lives to comfort them and that they would uh, work through this work through this time. We pray that you would just, your hand would be upon that family. We thank you that we can be in your house today. and We thank you for each person that is here. We think of those that are not able to be here for whatever reason and those that may not have been here for quite some time. We pray that you would be working in their hearts that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to them. We pray that you'd bring them back to them, uh, bring them back to us soon. Again, we thank you for this church and for uh, the witness 
here in this little church for so many years, and we pray that it would continue. We pray that you'd give us direction. We pray that you'd watch over the business meeting coming up on Thursday, that, uh, that you would just give us uh, wisdom and guidance, again, in how to uh, how the church, uh, the direction of the church, and uh, as we move forward in serving you and whatever, uh, however that is, we pray that you would help each one of us to see and know what you would have for us to do and that we would do it. And as your word talks about the body and the church is a body and each one of us have a part, we pray that you would help us to know that part and to do it well. We pray that you'd watch over Ian this morning as he brings the message that your Holy Spirit would speak through him and that you would just give him the words to speak. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Our scripture reading this morning will be found in Psalm 79. If you would, if you'd like to turn there with me, Psalm 79. O oh God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have reduced Jerusalem to rubble. They have given the dead bodies of your servants as food to the birds of the air, the flesh of your saints to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there is no one to bury the dead. We are objects of reproach to, your, to our neighbors, of scorn and derision to those around us. How long, O oh Lord, will you be angry forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call on your name, for they have devoured Jacob and destroyed his homeland. Do not hold against us the sins of the fathers. May your mercy come quickly to meet us, for we are in desperate need. Help us, O God, our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Before our eyes, make known among the nations that you avenge the outpoured blood of your servants. May the groans of the prisoners come before you. By the strength of your arm, preserve those condemned to die. Pay back into the laps of our neighbors seven times the reproach they have hurled at you, O Lord. Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will praise you forever from generation to generation. We will recount your praise. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word today. <clears throat> and now if you would turn to hymn number 21 in your blue book, we'll stand and sing. Let's sing verses 1, 2, 3, and 5 of number 21. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Let's stand.
great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the arms of His grace. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin, he sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean, his blood avail for me. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name. Amen. You may be seated. I love that song. And now would the ushers come forward for the morning offering, please. And, uh, and then uh, as they come forward, we'll be singing the doxology, which is on the back page of your bulletin. Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to be in your house. We realize that all that we have is a gift from you, and you have given, given all of it to us. We thank you for your goodness and graciousness and how you provide. We pray that you'd take this offering that's been given, and that you'd use it and multiply it for your kingdom's work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And if we would remain standing, you will sing in your green book in front of you, Psalm 4, which is in the back of the book. Psalm 4, in the green book. Remain standing, please. It says, hear my prayer and answer me. Hear my prayer and 
Thank you. Good morning, church. We're going to take some time now to go to the Lord together in prayer. All right, let's go to the Lord together in prayer. God, we come to you this morning to lift up our hearts to you, to pour out our souls to you in prayer. And we come to you, God, because we trust you, because you are great, because you are powerful, because you are glorious, because you're victorious, because you're majestic, because everything that is in the heavens above, everything that's in the earth below, the whole universe belongs to you, God. And you're the king over all things. We acknowledge, Lord, that everything we have comes from you. Every good thing in this world comes from you. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength. And so we come to you this morning, you are a great God, to praise you and to thank you, Father. And as we come into your presence, we acknowledge that we are sinners. We acknowledge that we fall far short of your glory, that we wander and stray from your ways like lost sheep, that too often we follow the sinful desires of our hearts. We know, the Lord, that we've done things we shouldn't have done, and we've not done the things we should be doing. So let's take a, now, take a moment now as we come into God's presence to silently confess our sins unto God.
Father, we ask that as we confess our sins, that you would have mercy on us, that you'd restore all those who come to you in repentance to confess according to the promises that you've declared to all people in Christ Jesus. We come to you to confess confidently, knowing that for those who confess, who come into the light, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you and we praise you this morning, Father, for Jesus and for his atoning death on the cross in our place, how he took our sin and our death upon himself and then rose again from the grave for our resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that for those of us who trust in him, who know him, that that is sufficient to cleanse us from our sin. We thank you for the forgiveness and the great love you've shown us in Jesus. We pray that you continue to teach us of your love day by day. We pray, too, Lord, for our own church and our own community. We know we need you, Lord God. And we know that there's so many of our friends and our neighbors who, who are hurting and who are broken and who need the gospel of Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that we would be ministers of that hope, ministers of that good news of Jesus, uh, that you would make us the hands of feet and feet of Christ as we share his love with those around us. We pray, Lord, that you'd open the the eyes of the blind, that you'd soften the hard-hearted to receive the forgiveness of Christ which is offered in the gospel and to be born again by your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that in our generation you would bring a spiritual revival to Liberty, Maine, and to Maine, that, um, that we would be a people who glorify your name. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray as Jesus taught us to pray. The Lord's Prayer, which is on the back of your bulletin, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. If you would grab the green book in front of you again and stand together, we're going to sing number two in the front of the book, Is He Worthy?
Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave Is He worthy? Is He worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is He worthy of this? He is. Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And it's Jesus our Messiah, hope forever those He loves. He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, He has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. Is He worthy? Is He worthy of our blessing and honor and glory? Is He worthy? Is He worthy? Is He worthy of this? He is. He is.
can open your Bibles with me this morning to Genesis 17. Genesis 17, which is where we're going to be this morning. It can sometimes be tempting to read Scripture like it's a scrapbook of unrelated events, a sort of compilation of interesting Bible stories that don't have too much relation to one another. But this is not the case at all. The whole story of Scripture is a true story and a unified story that's told by God. And it's all knit together. And it's unified because God is actually telling the story, not just of Scripture, but the story of Scripture is the story of the universe, the story of the world, which God is telling and God's a good storyteller. That's sort of the advantage that we've had to be able to work through Genesis like we've been doing chapter by chapter, is that we're able to read each part of Scripture in light of everything that we've read before. And that's what I want to do this morning with Genesis 17. I want to read Genesis 17 in light of what's come before, and also in the light of everything that's going to come afterwards. Because the one thing I don't want us to do this morning is to walk away from here hearing about Abram's name being changed to Abraham and thinking this is some irrelevant footnote on the annals of history. I want us to see that Abram Abram being called Abraham is actually intensely relevant to us and even to what's going on in this room this morning. This morning we're going to read Genesis 17, and in Genesis 17, God reiterates and also expands the promises he's given to this guy, Abram. He starts the chapter, Abram. But God's going to change his name from Abram to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. The father of many nations. And so, basically, the promise God is giving to Abraham here is that he's promising to make Abraham the father of many nations. And what I want us to see this morning is not just that God promised to make Abraham the father of many nations, but I want us to see this, and this is our main idea this morning. God is making Abraham the father of many nations. I want us to talk about this in the present tense because God is still fulfilling this promise to Abraham. And so we're going to span really the whole story of Scripture this morning and see how this promise made to Abraham here is actually God making right what went wrong in the garden and actually bringing us as a humanity ultimately into a completely restored and new world. And he's doing all of that through this promise he's making to Abraham. God is making Abraham the father of many nations. And we're going to talk about how that is. But first, let's read the passage together. Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you. 
and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be called the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house were bought with his money, every male among them of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, 
and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we come to your word this morning that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would show us how in this great promise to Abraham and ultimately in Jesus Christ, you are gathering a people for yourself to renew and to restore and eventually to bring into a recreated heavens and earth. We pray, Lord, that you'd encourage us with the great plan you are orchestrating. And we pray, Lord, that you'd bring us into it if we're not a part of it. That you'd make us all children of Abraham by faith. And that we would have hope in the promises that you made to him these many years ago. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God is making Abraham the father of of many nations. God is making Abraham the father of many nations. First, I want to look at the promise he makes to Abraham. The promise he makes to Abraham to make him the father of many nations. Let's set the stage. Verse 1. We're told that Abram was 99 years old. 99 years old. If you thought Abram was old when God first called him out of his homeland, he's older now. It's been 24 years since God's original call. It's been 13 years since the events of the previous chapter and the birth of Ishmael. It's been a long time that Abram's been waiting on the promises of God. He's an old man. And at 99 years old, the Lord appears to him. Now, we're not, we're not told there may, God may have appeared to Abram between the last chapter and now, but as far as we know, it's radio silence. And out of the quiet, the Lord speaks. I am God Almighty. This is the Hebrew uh, name El Shaddai, God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Now, this is interesting because up till now, God has not required of Abram any sort of covenant obedience. Okay? So when he originally calls Abram out of Egypt, um, he tells him to go, and then he makes a promise without condition. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give all of this stuff to you. And he, he fleshes this promise out. A couple of weeks ago, we saw in Genesis 15, God seals these promises with this covenant, right? First, he has Abram look up at the stars, and he says, I'm going to give you as many descendants as the stars. And then you'll remember the, the covenant ceremony where Abram splits these animals and then watches. He doesn't even take part, and God sends his presence through and promises unconditionally, I'm going to keep my promises on my life. And yet in this chapter, we find that God is going to make one requirement of Abram, soon to be Abraham. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. He's going to require something of Abraham, and we'll get to that. 
He doesn't explain it yet. So he says, I'm going to require you to walk blamelessly before me. And in verse 3, Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, and here, here God reiterates, and not just reiterates, but actually expands the great promises which God had made to Abram. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Now, this is new. Up till now, God has promised to make of Abram a great nation, one. And yet now he's saying, Abram, I'm going to make you the father of a multitude of nations. He's told Abram that he'd be a blessing to the nations, but now he's actually saying, from you, Abram, you're going to have so many kids, it's not just going to be a nation, it's going to be a multitude, like uncountable nations are going to come from you, Abram. And so he changes his name. And this is significant. In Scripture, names are incredibly significant. Um, the name of a person says something about who they are. You think about Jesus' name. What does it mean? God saves. Yeshua, God saves. A Abram means great father. Great father. Av is the Hebrew word for father. It's Avram, great father. Father who's great. He says, you're not going to be great father anymore. You're going to be Avraham, Abraham. Father of a multitude of nations. So he, he names him the promise. Abram's very name is the promise. Every time you say the name Abraham, you're remembering God promised to make Abraham a multitude of nations. That's why it's worth pronouncing all the syllables. Abraham. So we're going to call him Abraham from here on out because God promised him to make him a multitude of nations. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. So he says, you're going to be very fruitful. You're going to have so many kids. And they're not just going to be sort of mediocre nations. Great kings are going to come from you, Abraham. Kings and nations. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. There's three elements of this promise which are present pretty much everywhere God reiterates his covenant to Abraham. He says, I'm going to give you a people, right? And he's expanded that promise. He's not just a nation. I'm going to make nations of you. And there's going to be great kings of nations from you, Abraham. So a people and then the land. It's always there, right? I'm going to give you a people and I'm going to put them in the land that I've promised you. And then along with this, what does God promise? He promises to be with them. My covenant isn't just with you, Abram. It's with all your kids and their kids and their kids and their kids. And I will promise, verse 7, to be God to you. 
and to your offspring after you. And the end of verse 8, I will be their God. God promises not just to give Abraham great nations for his descendants, this land which they will live in, but he promises, I'm not going to leave them. I'm going to be with them. I'm going to be their God in generation after generation. So that's the promise. That's a huge, massive promise. I really have one focusing question this morning, which is, how? How? How does God intend to give Abraham these great promises? How do we see this promise, first of all, fulfilled throughout Scripture, and then even in our own day, how are we seeing God being faithful to this promise he made to Abraham? And we actually begin to see the answer in the covenant sign that God gives to Abraham. Um, I'm not sure there's a chapter in Scripture where you have to read the word circumcision more times than Genesis 17. Um, this isn't just an arbitrary sign. Um, the promise to Abraham has to do with his physical descendants. Um, throughout the chapter, at least in my translation, there's a word that's translated offspring, maybe translated seed, in your translation or descendants, um, this is the this is a this is a technical term having to do with the a man's seed. Um, he's saying this is your your offspring, your descendants. My promise is to them. Hence, the mark of circumcision, which is marking out the descendants of this line, this offspring, are holy to God. God has made great blessings to them. It's through this line that God is going to make great nations. And so the, the sign of circumcision is, is um, heavily weighted with symbolism here in terms of God's covenant with this, this physical people, Abram and his physical descendants. Although it's interesting even here, not everyone who receives the sign of the promise is Abram's physical descendant. Those who are traveling with Abram, Abraham and his family, I have to get used to that, Abraham and his family, um, who weren't necessarily descended from them, who were working for them, who were their servants, they too are being circumcised, okay? which already gives us a hint. It's not just those who are physical sons of Abraham who receive the promises. We'll talk more about that. But in a primary way at this point, it's, it's this physical line. There's this emphasis on the physical offspring of Abraham. How is God going to make great nations of Abraham? It's through Abraham's offspring. That's the first answer, through Abraham's offspring. It's through this line. And so as you follow the story of Scripture throughout the Old Testament, moving all, all the way up into the New Testament, Really, the, the whole rest of the story of the scripture is the story of Abraham's offspring. It's following this promise down through history, asking, how is God going to fulfill this promise? How is he going to 
make good on this incredible, expansive promise he's made to Abraham and to his descendants. And so you, you follow it down through, and we follow Abram's descendants, right? Abram and Isaac and Jacob, right? And then Joseph and his brothers, the, these 12 brothers who become the 12 tribes, and they go down into Egypt, and then they're in slavery in Egypt, right? And for 400 years, and then they come up out from Egypt, and God brings them out into the desert. This is the Exodus, and then brings them up into the promised land. It's like, and look, it's, and Scripture says this, right? God made good on his promise, right? He brings the people into the promised land. He's making of them a nation. They're unfaithful. They're, they often falter, and yet the Lord doesn't abandon them. He's with them. He makes good on his promise. He says, I will be their God, and he was their God, generation after generation after generation. And we follow the story of this nation through the Old Testament in the time of the judges and then in the time of the kings, right? And God brings great kings from the line of Abraham, David and Solomon. And not all of the kings were as great, but the kings come from this line. And then Israel falls, Israel's disobedient to God. God removes his blessing from them in the Assyrian and Babylonian exiles, and they're scattered. The children of Abraham are no longer a nation. They're scattered throughout the nations, and then God brings them back. He's faithful to bring them back into the land, but they're not an independent nation. They're under the thumb of various empires across their history. And as we come up into the time of Jesus... The how question is a good question. And it's a question that the, the, the Jews, the children of Abraham in Jesus' time are asking. If God is making Abraham the father of many nations, what is that supposed to look like? Because we're not even one nation anymore. We're a, a somewhat divided people living under the thumb of the Roman Empire a tiny religious minority that's barely allowed to worship in freedom. And how does this line up with God's great promise to Abraham to make Abraham the father of many nations? Whatever happened to Abraham's offspring? And thus this stage is perfectly set for Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, this is a passage we'll come to in a couple of months when we come into the Christmas season. When the angel made the announcement to Mary that she would give birth to the Son of God, she makes this beautiful prayer, often called the Magnificat, She says this, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is Luke 1, 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He goes on, and in verse 54, he says this. He has helped his servant Israel. Who's Israel? Israel is all those descended from Abram. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What does that sound like? Like Genesis 17. She's quoting it. And she's recognizing in whatever great thing this angel has just announced that's about to happen in my womb, this is the faithfulness of God to the promises to Abraham. This is God making good on his promises. Jesus is one major fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham and to his offspring. I want us to see this. In Galatians 3, Paul makes this very clear. He's actually dealing in the book of Galatians with the question of circumcision. Because after the coming of Christ, Christians stopped circumcising their children. It's no longer important to do anymore. And a lot of Christians who formerly had been Jews were really worried about this. <laughs> it's like, but God said to do it in Abraham, so why have we stopped doing it? What's changed now that we don't have to circumcise anymore? What's happened? And Paul explains in a number of ways why this is no longer important. But one way he explains is in Galatians 3, verse 16, where the Apostle Paul says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring... It does not say, and to offsprings. He's saying this is not plural, it's singular. Referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ? Who is Christ? The Apostle Paul's point here is that this whole promise about the physical offspring of Abraham has always been about God blessing his people in Christ. This is why both Matthew and Luke record this extended genealogy going all the way back to Abraham and Luke even further, going all the way back to creation to show, look, Jesus is the son of Abraham. He's physically descended from Abraham. Jesus is the culmination of this promise. It does not say unto offspring, is referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. God is making Abraham the father of many nations. How? Through Abraham's offspring. Right? And he began to answer this promise in the years before Christ 
in a partial way through Israel in making them a nation and bringing them into the land. But now through Jesus, he's doing it in a much grander way. Jesus is the seed. No longer is circumcision required. And then what happens? I think through the end of Jesus' life, he dies on the cross of a death he did not deserve in our place, rises from the grave three days later victoriously, spends around 40 days or so with his disciples, and then what happens? Ascended into heaven, where he lives even today. Jesus is alive even today in heaven, interceding for his people. Okay, that's where Jesus is. And then he sent his Holy Spirit. And what happened at Pentecost? I want us to see this. What happened at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples. They went out into the streets of Jerusalem in the midst of this huge festival of Pentecost and there's people from all over the world there and the disciples start speaking in languages they don't even know it's this miracle God grants them on this occasion they start speaking in languages they don't even know and people from all around the world from all nations are hearing the gospel of Jesus and believing it and being made sons of God by faith being brought into the kingdom And what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3, verse 27, he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you were all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. How is God giving Abraham nations and kingdoms? It's through Jesus, his offspring, who is actually bringing all the nations of the world into the family of Abraham through faith in Christ. This is amazing. This is what's going on around the world today as Christians on every continent of the globe speaking multitudes of languages, are actually worshiping God by faith in Jesus Christ this morning, and as they do, they're all actually children of Abraham. We are the stars in the heavens that God promised. These are the nations that God promised to Abraham. How is God making Abraham the father of many nations? Well, it's through Abraham's offspring. Through Jesus. And in you. God is making Abraham the father of many nations. How? First, through Abraham's offspring. Second, through Abraham's miracle child. Through Abraham's miracle child child. Turn back with me to Genesis 17. So he's made these great promises. He said it's going to be sealed by circumcision. 
Um, before we move on, it's important to note in verse 14, this is really the one requirement God gives to Abraham and to his physical descendants between this promise to Abraham and the coming of Christ. The one thing children of Abraham have to do to remain a part of the covenant people is the males among them must be circumcised. And there's a threat here in verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. This is actually a pun. The, the verb to cut a covenant, to make a covenant, is to literally to cut. And so um, it's the same verb here in Hebrew. Um, anyone who's not cut in circumcision is cut off from the people and no longer a part of the covenant. Okay? This this stipulation is no longer in effect in terms of circumcision. Right? The, the, the boundary in terms of are you a part of the people of God or not is faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 15. I'm going to get to the miracle child here. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Um, it's not entirely clear what's going on here with the change of name. Both Sarai and Sarah mean um, princess or royal lady, something like this. Um, Depending on the scholars you read, there's different speculations about exactly what this means. So I'm, I'm not sure we can say for sure what's going on here. But at any rate, what, what I, we know at least what God is doing is he's putting an emphasis on Sarah's name. Both Sarai and Sarai mean princess, this royal lady. He's, he's saying, Sarah, remember your name. Look to your name. I'm going to... I'm going to make great nations of you, right? This is what he's promised to Abraham. He's going to be the father of many nations, great ruler, great king of sorts. And it's like he's, it's like he's put this royal couple here together. He's like, remember your names, right? Abraham, your father of many nations. Sarah, your princess. It's like the, this royal couple. He's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to make a great nations of you. And that's what he promises. Sarah, verse 16, I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. I want us to think about this couple um, in, in the light of all that we've seen in Scripture so far. Because um, at various points, we'll, we'll see this sort of thing. Remember all the way back to the beginning. When God first made man in the garden, he made Adam and he made Eve, this first couple. And there in the beginning, surrounded by paradise, a perfect world, unstained by sin, what did he command Adam and Eve to do? Right? Surrounded by, it's like, it's perfect, and he gives them one job. Don't eat out of the tree, right? That's the one regulation. But in terms of, yeah, yeah. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. He points at this beautiful world he's given them, and he says, do something with it. And I like to imagine sometimes, and this is speculative, but it's like, what would have happened if they hadn't eaten of the tree? 
they hadn't rebelled against God. And after generation, after generation, after generation of faithful, fruitful stewardship of the world, communities and villages and cities would have been built. And as humanity reproduced, eventually the whole earth would have been covered with these image bearers of God serving as God's representatives over the whole earth, dwelling together in love, glorifying God, and the knowledge of God would have covered the earth as the waters cover the seas. This is, this is what, this is the job God had given Adam and Eve. The garden wasn't the end, that was just the beginning. But he's saying, take what I've done here and do it everywhere. Make the whole world a garden. A garden city filled with people that will bring glory to me. And of course, that doesn't happen. Adam and Eve sin. The first chance they get, they turn from God. And instead of being fruitful, well, they, are, they, are, they have kids, but the fruit turns sour, right? Generation after generation, you've got humanity in rebellion against God. And this is where we find ourselves today, right? as human beings bent towards sin and rebellion against God. And the great question, and maybe one of the deepest human questions is, is there a way back to the garden? And maybe more importantly, is there a way we could get to where we were supposed to go? What this earth was supposed to be before everything went sour? And I think there's hints here in Genesis 17 that indicate what God is beginning with Abraham and Sarah is he's beginning the sort of the curve back in that direction. If you notice, uh, let's see, all the way back in... Verse 6, God promises Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Fruitful. Same word that's all the way back in the early chapters of Genesis where God says, be fruitful and multiply. He says the same thing to Noah after the flood, be fruitful and multiply. He doesn't tell Abraham, be fruitful and multiply. This is not a command it's a promise. I will make you fruitful. God commands Adam and Eve to be fruitful and they, they fail. At least the fruit sours. It's the same with Noah. He commands him to be fruitful. He reproduces, but the earth is again filled with sinners. And yet to Abraham, he doesn't say, Abraham, be fruitful. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you fruitful. I'm going to make you fruitful. And I'm going to make nations from you. I'm going to make kings from you. I'm going to gather for myself from the nations of the world a people for myself as your children, Abraham. And you sort of have Abraham and Sarah here as almost a kind of new Adam and Eve. It's not an exact parallel, but there's this new family going on called out 
from the darkness of the world for God's purposes. And we'll see actually that eventually this, this family is that very family which God redeems, which God will make entirely and perfectly new and will deliver into the new heavens and the new earth. The promise given to, to Abraham about Sarah. I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And what does Abraham do? <laughs> Falls on his face and laughs. Laughs. And says to himself, because he's not saying this to God, but he says to himself, you almost imagine him muttering under his breath, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Are you kidding me, God? Shall, shall, is this a prank? Sarah's 90 years old. And she's going to bear a child? And what does Abraham say to God? Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Right? He has a son, not by Sarah. This is not a son of the promise. We talked about this last week. Sarah and Abraham hatch this plan. They don't trust God to actually give them a child. And so Sarah gives Abraham um, her maidservant, Hagar, who bears a child for Abraham, Ishmael. He's 13 years old by now. Abraham loves the boy. Oh, that Ishmael, my God, it's not going to happen. Ishmael, he's pretty good though, right? <laughs> and God said, no. Nope. But Sarah, your wife, you know, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. Itzak. He laughs. That's what the name means. Call his name Laughter, Abraham. <laughs> Joke's on you. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. He's, he makes clear, he says, as for Ishmael, I'm going to bless him. I'm going to make him an, a nation. He's your son. I, I'm not going to abandon him. Don't worry. But my covenant, verse 21, he says, I will establish my covenant with Isaac. The promise I'm making to you, this goes down through Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So question, why, why not Ishmael? Why did it have to be Sarah? Why did it have to be Isaac? Well, why did God call an old man anyways? Abram Abraham wasn't a spring chicken when God called him out of Ur. He didn't call people who would make likely parents. He called people who would make extremely unlikely parents and then waited 25 years 
God wanted to make very clear as he was beginning this line, this all-important line that eventually is going to culminate in Jesus, that's going to culminate in the salvation of the world, God wants to make clear from the very beginning that it's all of grace, that salvation cannot be achieved by human effort. God will not share his glory with another for the birth of Isaac. I think he wanted Abraham to laugh at this suggestion. He wanted Abraham, Abraham to have a sense of how ridiculous this plan sounds in human terms. It sounds like foolishness, but the foolishness of man is the wisdom of God. And it's through this miraculous child, this miraculous birth, that God makes very clear he has the power to bring life where there is not, which is the whole point of this whole family anyways. And he hammers the point home thousands of years later in Galilee and Judea. We'll talk about this when we get to Advent, but two more miraculous births, right? John the Baptist, who's born to um, uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, who are old. <laughs> They're old, just like Abraham and Sarah. And yet, out of this barren womb is born life, a son. And then an even more miraculous birth. An even more incredible thing happens. A son is born of a virgin. The Christ is born not with a human father, but conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of God, the Son of God. This is Jesus. How is God making Abraham the father of many nations? Through Abraham's miraculous child. It's through Isaac. Ultimately, it's through Jesus. In Isaac, God shows he has the power to bring life where there is not. He's the one who created the world out of nothing in the beginning. It's through Jesus, first in his birth, and then in his resurrection that God makes very clear, I have the power to bring life from death. And it's not by human power. It's not by human effort. In all of our attempts at utopia, we've never achieved it. We can't get back to the garden by ourselves. We certainly can't get to the garden city by ourselves. We're reliant entirely on the power of God. But praise God, he will bring us there through Jesus Christ. And so the question to ask this morning, the question we ought to ask ourselves is, Are we a part of this family? Are we a part of what God's doing through Abraham and through Abraham's seed? There's two kinds of humanity in the world. There's two ways to be a human. You can be a son of Adam and Eve, which we all are, right? on our own, condemned to sin, condemned to death. Or you can be a part of this thing that God is doing in Abraham. You can become a son of Abraham, a son of God, a child of God by faith in Jesus. You can either continue on down the road which 
which our first parents paved for us, which is the road to sin and death and destruction by our own choice, actually choosing to continue to walk in darkness towards death. Or in Jesus Christ, we can be born again. That actually into the deadness of our hearts, God can speak a word which gives us new life that actually the resurrection power of Jesus, which was hinted at in Isaac and fully displayed in Jesus, can actually be displayed in our own hearts. And so if you're here this morning and you say, I, have, I, don't, think I'm, I don't think I know this, Jesus. I don't think I'm a part of this family. I would encourage you, go to God. Seek him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Say, Lord, I... I want to know that resurrection power in my own life. Lord, would you open my eyes? Would you open my heart to know you, to believe in you, to turn from my old ways and to to love you? And the marvelous promise of Jesus is that all who come to him, he will never turn away. He's never said no once to those who come to him in faith. So go to him, seek him. And the incredible truth is that if we've come to know this Jesus, if we've come to be made sons of Abraham by faith, we are actually a part of the people of God spanning across the ages, which God has set apart for himself actually to redeem from our sin, this is nothing we deserve, but to redeem from our sin, to pluck us out of darkness, and actually to prepare us to live forever with God in paradise, in the recreated heavens and the earth. This is God's plan for you. And what a promise that is in the face of difficulty and suffering and death in this life. This is exactly the hope we need. I think this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he talks about, he's comparing the sufferings of this life to the glory that's ahead, and he says, he says that this is an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There is suffering in this life, but for those who are in Christ, we will live forever with God for eternity. Forever is a very long time. That's an eternal weight of glory. And though the sufferings of this life may feel overwhelming now, though the sting of death may feel overwhelming to you right now, it will grow dim in the light of that amazing glory. Amen? God is making Abraham the father of many nations. He's doing it through Jesus. He's doing it in this room even now. And he'll carry on his faithfulness to that promise for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness to us in Jesus that when we were lost, you came after us and you have pursued us and you have found us. And even now you're preparing us for the eternal glory of of heaven and of home. And we long for that. We long for your return, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. We pray, Father, that you'd make us 
useful for your work even now. You comfort us with the, the hope of heaven and of home. I pray, Lord, that you comfort those who mourn. And I pray, Lord, that you'd make us that you'd make us useful in your work of bringing sheep into the fold. That those around us who are far from Jesus, you would give us the words to speak to encourage them to turn to you and to find in you that hope of everlasting life, to find in you resurrection life. We thank you, Father, for your great grace to us. We pray that you'd send us from here with your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Closing hymn this morning is number 581. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Amen. How appropriate. Let's stand and sing the first and the last verse of 581. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus Just to take Him at His word Just to rest upon His promise Just to know, thus saith the Lord Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him How I prove Him o'er and o'er Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust Thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that Thou art with me, wilt be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Before all